Good morning. It is a, a privilege to be here as always. And before I open the Word of God, I should like to give a short report of what seemingly the Lord is doing in Folsom. All I know is what I see. So what He's really doing, I'm not sure, but what I do see, right? We have about 30 folks that continually to gather at 2 p.m. on a Sunday, which is kind of an odd time. So it's kind of encouraging to see 30 people who are willing to make that kind of an odd time normal. Um, we are looking for another facility so that we can move to a Sunday morning and start to do ministry the way we want to do it because we have to get out of sight and everything, so it makes it kind of squeezed. But So we're, you could pray with, with us as we look for another facility, please. We uh, Cornerstone grad came and joined us, uh, Max Vusick. So he and I now are co-laboring, and that just spreads things out wide, and that's a joy to me. Um, he's a, he's, the more I get to know him, the more we are like this, and I'm so pleased to have him with us. That's an answer to prayer. Um, we started a men's training yesterday. We had nine guys. Um, three or four couldn't make it because of graduation-type stuff. So we're starting to train young men looking for, obviously, future elders, you know. So we're starting that, and young men are interested, so that's exciting. Our first baptism will be next Saturday. We have one person whom the Lord saved out of Jesus' culture. Praise God. Um, <laughs> and so we're going we're gonna to dunk him in the American River up by uh, Old Town Sacramento, or Old Town uh, Folsom to try to get as many pagans around to hear the gospel. So you can pray for us uh, next Saturday at 3 o'clock. Um, and so let's see, what else? Um, hmm. My family is uh, blessed by God, by the prayers and support of His saints. Um, we took on, I don't know if I, 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 I don't know if I've already said this, I have, forgive me. Uh, but we took on a 17-year-old young lady who was having some real troubles. She moved in with us about five months ago. And she's she's a straight-up heathen, man. Um, <laughs> but we love her to death, and we she's, uh, she's Russian and Ukraine, right? And so in God's wonderful providence, I'm praying for how to get the gospel into this little girl. And so I had her translate the Romans Road into Russian, sit down with me once a week to teach me Russian, but actually I want to teach her the gospel. So <laughs> um, my little Layla, I call her, she's a, she's a joy to our heart. Um, she's been with us for five months now. And as I came here, I share this with you. Her, One of her closest friends, who's kind of mentally unstable and somewhat suicidal, I think we just took her on, too. Um, so you can pray for us. Um, she's 18, and she's got a lot of troubles. And parents just throw these kids away. It's just incredible. They just throw these kids away. I can't do that. And not even mine. I thought, Lord, I thought I would have a... I thought maybe I would have a home for wayward boys. But wayward girls, I never crossed my mind. Right? But that seems to be what the Lord is doing. Right? Well, all that is part of planting a church, I guess. I'm just trying to be faithful to Christ, and I, I appreciate your prayers. And if you think of us, pray for us to be faithful witnesses to these young ladies. And uh, that God would use us to plant a church in Folsom because it is needed. 
There's lots of church buildings there. There's thousands of people that show up on a Sunday to listen to a smoky rock show that has no gospel. Okay? Um, so I, I'm, I'm able to visit other places in the morning because our meeting's at 2. And I've been to a lot of these big places. And I'm just going to tell you, this is a jewel right here. You know this, but I just want to encourage you. This right here is a diamond amongst many rough stones, right? You guys are a jewel. It's a lighthouse. What you believe here, what is preached here by your pastor and elders is absolutely the most essential thing on this planet and what is needed, right? There's a lot of false things out there that are greasing the skids to hell, right? And you don't want to be part of that. So I just encourage you to keep on. You pray for us to keep on. And as this world gets crazier and darker and more more opposed to our Jesus and our gospel, let us stand strong and look at face face to face and preach Christ. Right? And then you die and go to glory. Is that so bad? <laughs> nope. Um, <laughs> just saying. <laughs> right? I mean, we're just saying how glorious His presence will be. You know, everybody wants to go there, but nobody wants to die. You know, um, I want to get to that point where dying is gain. Right? How do you get there? Is by believing what he says in his word. I want to bring to you what I've been working through back in Folsom. It's been such a joy to me. If you would open to the book of Ephesians chapter 1. We've been going through Ephesians. And uh, it's been glorious. We, we chose that because it has to do with the church. And just some glorious truths here. Uh, brother, it's 1056 right now. When do you want me finished? Okay, Um, Ephesians chapter 1. I want to give some quick background to get you up to where I want to be in chapter 1. Chapter 1, I would say, is is framed up on these two statements. Why we should praise God the Father and why we should pray to God the Father. I think that whole chapter breaks into those two headings. Why do I say that? Is verse 3 through 14 is one long sentence in the original language, 202 Greek words. Verse 15 to 23 is another long sentence in the Greek language. Just one sentence. So that tells me that chapter breaks into two parts. Verse 3 tells me, Blessed be God, the, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's telling us we should praise God. The rest of that sentence, 3 through 14, Paul lays out some reasons why we should praise God the Father. Okay, look at what he says here in verse 3. Blessed be God... And Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has already blessed us with every, that means every, spiritual blessing where? In the heavenly places in Christ. That's a bold, overarching statement. Yes, every spiritual blessing is already ours in Christ Jesus. And this is why we should praise God the Father. Verses 4 and following, he lays it out in detail. Election. Verse 5, predestination. Verse 7, redemption. Forgiveness. Finally, in 13 and 14, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Okay? Those details in verses 4 through 14 are the spiritual blessings in the heavenlies that he's speaking about in verse 3 as why we should praise God the Father. We should constantly be praising God the Father, first and foremost, because He chose you for Himself before the foundation of the world. 
I mean, if that's all that was there, I would praise God the Father for choosing me, man. Right? Especially when it's unconditional. Okay. Coming to verse 15. He shifts. And he says, now he's going to give reasons why we should pray to God the Father. He says in verse 15, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, verse 17, that God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, and then he goes on through there. Okay? Why we should praise God the Father, the glorious spiritual blessings, 3 through 14. Verse 15 and following, why we should pray to God the Father, okay? Unceasingly to God the Father. By the way, we're a Christ-centered people, but there's no one more Christ-centered than God the Father, okay? God the Father is Christ-centered, okay? And so when we praise God the Father, it does magnify our Lord Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Yes, okay. So, just so we're not having wrong ideas. So, in verse 18 and 19 is the hub of this prayer. Now, what we want to see, what I want to get from this, when I read this and I study this and I preach it, I want us to learn how to pray from the Apostle Paul. We're going to learn here how to do intercessory prayer. What do we pray for, for each other? Okay? And the hub of what we should pray for is verses 18 and 19. And it's, you'll see the word, the repetition of the word what. Do you see it there in verse 18? He says um, in verse 18, the New American Standard has, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that result purpose you will know, first, what is the hope of his calling? Second, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And third, verse 19, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? That's incredible stuff. This is what he's praying for, for these saints. By the way, can I, can I emphasize this? That the spiritual blessings, 3 through 14, are equally, presently, and eternally ours. In that there's no one more chosen than another. There's no one more predestined than another. There's nobody that's more forgiven than another. That is the basis of spiritual unity right there. Every single Christian, every single person here who is in Christ is equally elected by God. So those truths of verses 3 through 14 are equally ours to the fullest. There's not levels or degrees of that, okay? So he's talking to, to believers, whether they're first saved right now or been walking with the Lord for 60 years, those truths are equally ours, Okay? And they don't fade in and out. You don't grow and they don't diminish. They are fixed equally, man. Verse 15 and following, now he's going to pray for those who have those great blessings equally. He's going to be praying for us. So what does he want us? The first thing he wants us to know, beloved, in verse 18, is what is the hope of his calling? He's praying on behalf of the saints that they come to understand and know in their mind the glory of his plan. The glory of his plan, which I'm saying is the hope of his calling. Now, the hope of his calling. Go to Ephesians 4 real quick and then we'll be back. Look at 4.4. 4. 
He says, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. Okay? Chapter 4, he's laying out that unity. We're equally, there's one body of Christ on the whole globe. There's one spirit, Holy Spirit. And there's one hope of the calling, one hope of his calling. In other words, when you came to Christ, the promise to you wasn't different than what it's to him. We all came to Christ with the same understanding of what was promised to us. That's the hope of the calling. Yes? So when you go back to Ephesians 1.18, he wants us to know what is the hope of his calling. Which is fascinating because chapter 2 tells us and reminds us that before we came to Christ, we had no hope. Separated from God. Ignorant of God. With no hope. This world, as the dear brother who prayed about the things going on in Texas, you could add things in Buffalo, you could add all the things that go on in this wicked world. And there is lots of reason to become hopeless. But we as Christians are the only ones that have a true basis for hope. And for Christians to live as though there's no hope is blasphemy. Can I be so bold? For me, no matter what comes into my life, if I live hopelessly, that is blasphemy. You understand that? We may not like to hear that, but that is true. Because we live as though God doesn't exist. If a Christian who lives hopelessly, you're living like a pagan. Pagans are the ones who should be hopeless, not Christians. Even in the midst of the greatest suffering, there's always hope in Christ. Paul wants Christians to understand. He's talking to believers to come to grips, to understand in their mind what is the hope of his calling. And isn't it fascinating? That's where he starts. That's the first thing he prays for for these believers. I want you to establish in your soul, brother, in your mind, that which God calls you to when he saved you. Right? That's good stuff. Now, hope of his calling. His calling is God's calling. God's call is through the gospel. There's the effectual call, right? When he said, Lazarus, come forth. That's effectual. When he said to you, Brother Nick, come forth. When he saved you, that's effectual. This calling is effectual. It awakens the dead. It quickens the dead. Gives life. But more than that, the hope of his calling is that which God has promised when he called you. What is the content of the gospel of which is the hope? There's objective hope and there's subjective hope. Objective hope is truth that does not change. Subjective hope is my confidence in that. You see, the hope of his calling are the details of the gospel message. The details of God's promise. This is my hope that does not fluctuate. My personal hope is like this. Yeah? It's like this. My personal trust, my confidence in that which God has promised. I waver in that. But that which he has promised never changes. It's fixed. That's why it's an anchor to my soul, says Hebrews 6. All right. 
So he says in verse 18, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. Now, I want to chase this around from different passages. What can we learn again? Be refreshed, brother. Go to 1 Peter 1. And I'm going to go to a lot of different places. I hope you don't mind um, to show some different things. But this is the, this is the hope that is ours. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3. He says, blessed be the God, there's that praise, why we should praise God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 3, who according to his great mercy, what has he done, has caused us, divine causation, divine grace, has caused us to be born again to what? To a living hope. A living hope. Living, what is characteristic of living is it's vibrant, it's active, it's vivacious. Yes, it's not Dead, it's not stale, but it's living. And what is, look at, how did he bring about that living hope in you? Through the resurrection of Christ. Our hope is him and he's alive, therefore we have a living hope. Okay? So we have a vivacious, vibrant, living, active promise. A future blessing. That's hope. Future blessing which is through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Okay? Look at 4 and 5. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable, undefiled, will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. That's part of the hope. But verse 5, notice please. Who are protected by the power of God, how? Through faith, for what? A salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That verse 5 Connected with verse 3 is what is an aspect of my hope. Is it not? Is that not your hope? Are you hoping for future glory or is this it right here? Right? If you're hoping for right here, you're the greatest of fools. As our brother said when he came up here. Right? We are, t- we, our hope is not here. Our hope is there. Beyond the veil, man, in the presence of God is our hope. That's the content you see. So Paul's praying for Ephesian Christians that their mind be saturated with the promises of the gospel that are future. I will, I am protected, verse 5, again, 1 Peter, for a salvation ready to be revealed. You know what that's saying? It has not been revealed yet. This is not it. It's as wonderful as, as, as wonderful at times as it can be here. And you know, the, we call mountaintop experiences, walking with Jesus Christ and tasting of the Lord and oh, He's good. Those are just samples of when it will be fully revealed in the future. And I will gaze upon Him in His glory. I do not see Him now in His glory. It's diminished, it's shrouded, you see. But a time is coming and it's promised in the gospel that I will see Him in His glory. That's my hope. That doesn't change. You see, that's objective hope. Paul prays to know what is the hope of his calling. (laughs) That makes it worth living here. Amen? Because if this is all that there is, I'm going back to drinking. Yeah, I'm going back to the saloons. If this is all that it is, uh uh-uh. I'm going back. Right? So why is it you don't go back? It's because you have a hope. Amen? That's why you're here, man. You have an expectation. 
that God is able to do that which he has promised. That is hope. Biblical hope is not worldly hope. Oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. Biblical hope is a confident expectation that God will accomplish that which he has promised. Amen? And what does he promise? What does he promise? That you will be protected until a future salvation when it is fully revealed for what it is. I can't wait. I cannot wait. Well, if you like that, go to 2 Thessalonians, please. To the left. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I know you know all these things, but I hope God uses me to stir you up. You know what Peter says? I'm going to remind you while I'm in this tent. Look at verse 14, please. 2 Thess, 2.14. Look at this. This is glorious. It was for this He, God, called you. How? Through our gospel. What is the goal of the gospel there in verse 14? Speak to me, as Montoya would say. Gain the glory. Gain the glory. That's the gospel promise. It's not here and now. It's not your best life now. Boom, get out of here. Right? It will be his best life now, but it ain't your best life now. Unless he repents. Right? To gain the glory, it says, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not just thrilling? Does that not just stun you? The gospel's goal is not here and now only. It has a future promise, and that is to gain the glory that belongs to Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be glorified. That's your hope. The hope of your calling. The hope of His calling. Wow. Thrilling. Go back to 1 Peter, please. Chapter 5. 1 Peter 5, verse 10. I love this. He acknowledges that there's suffering in this world. And after you have suffered for a little while, and that could be any, any number of years, the God of all grace, who called you where? To His eternal glory in Christ. Do you see... The gospel call is not about here and now. Oh, there's blessings here and now because God can't help Himself. He loves to bless His people. But the promise of the gospel is eternal. It's heavenward. It's beyond the veil, beloved. It's to that better country. I'm called to a better country. Are we not citizens of a better country? Through Christ Jesus, then why do we live like this is our home? It's like going on vacation and acting like you live in Hawaii. You don't live in Hawaii. You live here. Right? Everybody wants to move to Texas. Are you kidding me? You ever been there? No. We're going to go to heaven. Right? You're citizens of heaven. Amen? That's the hope of your calling. Eternal glory. The glory of Christ. Who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. That's the gospel message. That there's a heaven to be attained. Now go to Romans 8, please. Romans 8. Pick it up in verse 20, please. 
You know what? <laughs> 17. Look at this. He's talking about if we are children of God, then we're heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. That sounds like hope to me. It's very hopeful to me. Right? I'm an heir of God. What does God have? Everything. What's mine? Everything. By grace? Yes? Do you believe that? I mean, really. Come on. Let's believe that. I'm a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Everything that's His, bequeathed to Him by the Father, is mine by grace. Cool. But look at what He says in verse 17. Second half. That's true if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be what? Glorified. Glorified. Verse 18, he will explain further. What does he mean by this suffering and glorified? He says, I consider that the sufferings, plural, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Sounds like hope to me. You know what the hope is there? A glory that surpasses whatever I'm suffering in this life. He's not minimizing the suffering. Please hear what he says there. Some of us, and we know people, and we might even tomorrow experience the most massive sufferings you could ever imagine. He's not minimizing the suffering. What is he saying? That compared to the glory, no matter what you're suffering, it's this big. How massive must the glory be? That it eclipses the greatest suffering on this planet. Think about that. So if you're suffering and you're a degree of suffering and it might be intense, be encouraged, beloved, that this verse is saying the glory that is yours awaiting you is far greater. So great that on a scale, your suffering can't even move the scale. Glory. You see, we live in hope of that, do we not? This is what Paul is praying to the church He wants you and I to grasp and understand the hope of the calling in the gospel so that we live in a manner worthy of His name. You cannot live in a manner worthy of His name if you don't understand this hope. That's why he starts there. You cannot live in a manner worthy of His name if you do not live in the hope that He is saying. Because in this life there is trials and suffering that has no boundaries. Your neighbor gets cancer, and I get cancer. Christians get cancer. Our beloved Stevie got cancer. And I ask sometimes, Lord, why would you do that? (laughs) But I trust him. But you know what I'm saying? Unbelievers and believers suffer just the same. But you know what's different with us is we have this hope. And this hope is manifested in your life when when you live according to this hope. You reveal what you believe. And the unbeliever who's suffering just like you looks to you and they know you're not faking it. And they come up to you and they say, what is the reason for the hope that is in you? Sounds like First Peter to me. Do you see what I'm saying? They will not ask you that, brother, if you don't understand what is the hope of his calling. Amen? The reality of what we believe is expressed and shown when we are in trials, when the screws are put to us by divine grace. 
to squeeze out of us what God knows is there. So that all those watching can say, wow, look what Christ can do in the life of one who takes him at his word. All praise to Jesus. All praise to Jesus. There is a hope of glory, beloved. Look at verse, we're still in Romans 8. He says, in 18, I consider the sufferings of the present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revelation, the revealing of the sons of God. That's future yet. Verse 20, for creation was subjected to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, because of the fall, in hope that the creation itself also, notice, 21, will be set free, creation will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That's not yet happening. It's going to happen. 22, for we know that the whole creation groans, present tense, right now, suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 23, and not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. How are we able to wait eagerly in the midst of suffering? Speak to me. How are you able to eagerly wait through the trials? What must you know? The hope. What is the hope that awaits? Do you not expect to be resurrected? Do you not expect to be glorified? Do you not expect to have eternal life in its full manifestation? Do you not expect eternal joy in the presence of your Savior? You see where Paul says, I want you to understand and know that so that you can live this out in the midst of this world. Go to... Go to First Thessalonians, please. chapter 1. without hope people quit even the world has to have hope I mean they have false hope but why do they get out of bed they, they're, they're, they're expecting something right or why get out of bed Christian do you expect something in the future the, 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 is your secure? Is your future secure? Yes. Look at First Thessalonians chapter one. Look at verse three. What does hope do for us here? He says, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, and then what's your text say? Steadfastness of hope, and that hope is located where? In our Lord Jesus Christ. Work produced by faith, labor produced by love, and steadfastness produced by hope. Steadfastness means you're enduring. You're staying the course in the midst of difficult times. You're not wavering like this. You're not... You're not pulling back, shrinking back. You're pressing in. You're continuing on with Christ. No matter the blows, no matter the affliction, no matter the persecution, you're staying the course. 
because you have a hope of future glory. Amen? You have a future, you have a hope of future glory. If you do not have that hope, you're not going to be so confident to take the blows. When someone says you're a Christian, you deny him or you're fired. Yeah, but I got a huge mortgage. You know, let's get practical. How will you stay the course? How will you not shrink back when you hear that you have cancer tomorrow? Are you going to kick the goads? Are you going to cuss God? Are you going to curse Him? Or are you going to say, Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How can you say that? Yes, because you have a hope. You believe the gospel. Because the gospel says, As Christ was raised, you shall be. As He is glorified, you shall be glorified. Amen? We should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. We should be the most, the most, the most unflinching, unchangeable people on the planet. Because we have that hope. That's glorious. So much more I want to say, but I can't. Go back to Ephesians. Yeah. Oh, the torture of being ignorant like myself. I, have, I think I have so much to say, but I never get it done. I'm sorry, brother. Um, man, back to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. What is the hope of his calling? I hope we establish at least a little bit of that, that you're going to be glorified. You're going to be resurrected. You're going to be like Christ. You're going to be like Him. You're being conformed into that very image now, are you not? And you will, as much as a creature can be like God without being God, you will be like Him. For all eternity. And there's, we, uh, the brother read from Revelation earlier, there's no more sorrow, no more sadness, no more sick. That's our hope, you see. That's our, that is our existence that's promised. Do you expect that? Of course you do. And that impacts how you live now. You're steadfast. You're faithful. You're pressing on. Paul moves to a second what. And I got a blast here. Look at verse 18. He says, the second what is what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance. And this is so cool. I want you to notice real carefully, please. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Do you see that carefully? Yes, we believers have an inheritance. And we sang about it here. This is not this. This is God's inheritance. What is God's inheritance? You. The saints. Oh. That's what it says. Verse 18. What are the riches of the glory of His, God the Father's inheritance? Where? In the saints. Now, don't let Caleb rob all the good stuff. Can I say it so boldly that God actually loves you? <laughs> Not only does He actually love you, He likes you. He does. Can we go to... Can we go to Zephaniah 3? Somewhere in the Old Testament. 
as I can find it. 317. You can just write this down and just hear it. Listen to this. Now, this is, this is God speaking of Israel in the context. 317. Zephaniah. Yeah, that's in the, that's in the, the Old Testament. <laughs> 317. Look at what it says. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior. He will what? What does that mean? Give me another word. Rejoice. Who's rejoicing there? Yahweh. God. God will exult over you with what? With joy. Can you just chew on that for a minute? God takes pleasure in His people. God delights in His own. Not because we're so wonderful, but because He's so loving. It doesn't magnify us. It magnifies Him. He is so loving and so gracious. And He has chosen to exalt over you. Is that not glorious? Just take this at... Just take this in its immediate context. He's talking about Israel. Are you kidding me? Bunch of hard-hearted, stiff-necked, unbelieving Jewish people. And God says, I exult over them. Wow. This is his inheritance, beloved. The riches, Ephesians says, the riches of the glory of his inheritance. You know what that is saying? There is a glory that is connected to his people. And it's rich. Not inherent in us, please, but given to us. John 17, high priestly prayer, Jesus says, Father, the glory that you have given me, I give to them. And he says there in the 1724, I think it is of the high priestly prayer, As the Father has loved me, He has loved them. In the same way God the Father loves the Son, He loves you. And we're almost afraid to say that. We're almost afraid to talk that way. But I'm telling you right now, you cannot live right for the glory of God until you understand what Paul is praying here. He's praying that the church understand what is the future hope that's contained in the gospel and to understand that God actually treasures you. Man, that makes me 19 feet tall and bulletproof. You know what I mean? Amen? Does it, does it not affect you, earthly speaking, when your papa... If he would to say, my papa never did, so I don't know how this feels. But I, I longed for him to when I was a kid. Just to say, I love you, son. I'm glad you're my kid. God says that to you. He actually says that. He exalts over you. He rejoices over you. He delights over you. He actually wants you in His presence. Remember, He chose you. You didn't choose Him. And He's making you like His Son. 
And He will rejoice over you for how long? Forever. Forever. I mean, if He loved you when you were a sinner, do you think He's going to love you less when you're perfected? (laughs) Come on. No. (laughs) Beloved, He loves you. He sent His Son to redeem you, purchase you. Titus 2.14 was read. We are His special what? Possession. Possession. Eager to do good works. We are His possession. That's His inheritance. Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 32 talks about Israel being being Yahweh's inheritance. The church as God's elect are Yahweh's inheritance. This is what He's going to receive in glory. The firstborn among many brethren who are going to be made like Jesus Christ, His Son. And the Father will rejoice over you for all eternity. He will praise you. Oh, that's blasphemy, people would say. Well, I'm glad you... Where did I go with that? Think of this. Um, uh, go to John 12. Oh, this is good. Go to John 12. Twenty six. Twelve twenty six, please. Jesus speaking. He says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Twelve twenty six. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, what's the father's response? Did you get that? God the Father will honor you. And if you're like me, because I'm ignorant, you're not saying you're ignorant, but because I'm ignorant, I have to look at words, man. Even words I know. And what does honor mean? What does honor mean? It comes to your mind, honor. Elevated, set apart, raised up. Amen. Children are to love, obey, and what? Honor their parents. We're to honor the king in First Peter. It's to treat with respect. God the Father is going to treat you with respect. I don't understand that. But that's His choosing. Because He loves you. It's His nature to lavish, to give. God so loved, He gave. Every time Father's shown to be loving, He's giving. It's His nature, beloved, to lavish good gifts upon you. In fact, He's designed prayer to guarantee we receive gifts, and He's more willing to give than we are to pray. Because He wants to give more than we want to receive. That's incredible. It is His nature to lavish on His people. Did He not lavish on His Son? Is He not lavishing on His Son right now? By virtue of your union with the one on whom he's lavishing, guess what? You are recipients of his lavish love. Man, that makes me 22 feet tall and bulletproof. Devil coming right and I ain't moving, man. I have a hope of future glory and my Father's love for me is eternal. And nothing can take that away. If God be for you, who can be against you? Christian, we need that injection of hope. Be careful of watching so much news that you think this is all there is. 
the thing in Texas is horrendous. How many of us just cried because we're all parents? But you know what? It doesn't change these realities. Even though I don't understand it, I don't have to. I trust the one who does. And he has saved me in hope. He tells me here that I am objects of his lavish affection. Of his lavish affection. Doesn't say in Samuel that those who honor me, I will honor them. For Samuel 2. Amazing, beloved. Absolutely amazing. Go to Isaiah, almost two verses here. Isaiah 62. I just, this is such a great truth that it just thrills my soul. I don't want to leave it too soon. I hope you don't mind. Isaiah 62. Four and five. Look at the picture that's being painted here of the heart of our God. In verse four of 62 of Isaiah. It will no longer be said to you. He's talking about future glory for Israel. Forsaken. No longer will it be said forsaken. Nor to your land will any longer be said desolate. But you will be called. Notice. My delight is in her. And your land will be called married. And look at the last part of four. For the Lord delights in you. And to him your land will be married. The Lord delights in you. Next verse. He gives a picture, uh, an earthly picture of which they would understand. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices, as the bridegroom rejoices, rejoices over who? Over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Isn't that incredible? That's that's he's talking bridegroom bride stuff. That's a lot of affection. <laughs> and he says, like that, I'm to you. He could he could have used any illustration to express how he delights, and he uses a bridegroom and bride to impress upon us the depth of the affection of God. Now, if you understand that, here, here's, here's the test. How do you respond when you sin? When you sin, I, I trust you still sin like me. If not, I'm hanging, I'm coming here. Well, you don't want me here if that's true. <laughs> um, since we still sin, a test of what you understand about God's affection is how you relate to Him after. Do you do the do you do the Adam and Eve thing and go hide in the trees? Do you avoid Christians in church because that's how you avoid God? Or do you believe that His lavish affection of you cannot be changed? He can't love you anymore, and He will not love you any less. Proof that you understand that is that when you sin, you go running to God. Oh, Father, 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 forgive me, I have sinned against you. I know that that is sin. Thank you that 1 John 1, 9 is in my Bible. Thank you for the forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. Thank you that I am cleansed of all my sin. Thank you that I stand forgiven in Christ Jesus. Thank you. See, that's different than doing penance and hiding under the pews. (laughs) Because God's affection for you 
does not change. You understand? Even if he disciplines you, isn't that an evidence of his love? Hebrews 12, he only disciplines those whom he loves. So God wants us to understand the hope of his calling or the glory of his plan. He also wants us to understand the glory of his people and that his affection for you is massive. He treasures you. He honors you. Romans 2 says he even praises you. He praises you for that which he has done in and through you. The last one that we won't look at in Ephesians is what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. I'm going to preach that here too. <laughs> so when you invite me back in the months ahead, I'll bring that one. But beloved, please, I hope that encourages you. You already have this. You, this is at your disposal. You don't have to go searching this. This is what God gives you. He wants you to know that which he's already done. This is yours. Call on him. Fill your mind with these things. And then walk in light of it. And know the joy that fills your soul, no matter the circumstance. Remember on a cloudy day, man, the sun is still a-shining on the top side. Right? That's the promise of God. Let's pray. Well, Father, we thank you for the content of the gospel. We thank you for that which you have accomplished on our behalf. We thank you that we have a glorious future awaiting us. And we thank you. We're stunned. We're in awe of your affection for us. How you really do like us. Oh, Lord, help us to live these truths out in the power that you provide. In Jesus' name, amen.